Hey everyone, this is Will from Charlotte, North Carolina, and welcome to this brand new and exciting episode of The Missing Piece. You know, as a former international journalist that based in Beijing, China, and、uh, one of the favorite spots that I used to travel to would be the bookstores and the libraries. Not only that, I was able to pick up the copies that、uh, regarding the、uh, masterpieces or the literatures that overseas and domestically, but meanwhile, I may I was able to encounter the younger generations. And needless to say, that today in China, the millennials, the Chinese millennials to be precise, they're actually hungry about reading, and not just about what's going on in the world today, but they're trying to use the literature, or they're trying to use a variety or diverse、uh, readings and writings to be educated. So that's why it's so interesting that today we see how the literature, or from this literature perspective, China is growing、uh, in a more educational way and a more international way. Again, so that's why today I am so honored to invite Megan Walsh and to join our show. And Megan is a journalist and a writer who often writes about Chinese literature and film. And she has lived in Beijing and Taipei, and holds a master's degree in Chinese studies. And her work has appeared in Time, Wall Street Journal, and she was on the books desk on the Times of London, where she reported on contemporary art and literature in China, Russia, Cuba, and Northern Iraq. Now she lives in London, and of course, her latest book is entitled "The Subplot: What China Is Reading and Why It Matters." Megan, welcome to the missing piece. Thanks so much for asking me, Will. Megan, let's start it with the first simple question: What prompted you to write this book entitled "What China Is Reading and Why It Matters"? I mean, to me, it's a such a bold statement. You know, what China is reading and why it matters. So, help us to understand what prompted you or what motivated you. To write this book, sure.、Um, so when I was doing my masters in uh, uh, at SOAS,、um, my dissertation was actually about some、uh, fiction about、uh, migrant workers in China. And I, at the time, I sort of discovered that there was a sort of growing and really rather exciting、um, genre of migrant worker poetry that.、Um, Just after I'd left university, actually,、uh, there was a wonderful、uh, collection published called Iron Moon,、um, and I wrote a sort of extended review of that.、Um, and a, a lot of the poetry I encountered was so beautiful and and, and so simple at the same time, and, and drew drew attention, I guess, to a, a slightly sort of marginalised group of people.、Um, but what it also drew attention,、uh, drew my attention to, was that there was. So various literary phenomena taking place in China,、um, and that was just one of them. And so the idea for the book was to sort of investigate and find out what else was kind of happening in China that wasn't really happening elsewhere in the world, and to try and document it and make the case for what it can tell you about China that other arenas can't. But you know, Megan, I have to say that again.、Uh... As I mentioned in the intro, you know, back in the days when I was traveling and visiting China, and of course the capital city, 
and along with other major cities. And I noticed that how the younger generations were standing or they were flooding into the uh, the bookstores and libraries. You know, on one hand, they were trying to be educated uh, regarding you know either domestic affairs or international uh, uh, events. But on the other hand, I think they were hungry about something that they could not find domestically and easily. So they have to go to those uh, institutions or you know uh, the, the the facilities, try to find informations. So from your perspective, that back in days when you were living in Beijing and compared with today, do you think that the interests among the younger generations towards the world have there changed? If so, in what way? It's a really good question, quite a hard one to answer. Um, I mean, I know in the in the eighties and nineties there was a huge appetite uh, for foreign fiction, in particular, um, primarily because you know it was reform and opening up, things were much more available, and I've heard of sort of amazing stories of people queuing around uh, the corner. Um, for bookshops to get their hands on anything they could to to read, um, following some, I guess the sort of the drought of the 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 subcultural revolution, mm. and um, and then I think you know it's been a bit of a stop start uh, uh, sort of evolution in in terms of how fiction has um, been digested and, and processed and written in China. I guess for sort of various lurches um politically and things um so i, th I think there was a sort of high culture high culture fever at that point as it's known and then writers sort of retreated a little bit and people were mainly focused on um economically getting ahead there was a sort of restlessness people thought they had to make the most of the opportunities that this sort of new ascendant china was offering um and i think now suddenly there is you know a sense that a lot of people have a lot more um disposable income. Uh, some have more free time, some don't. They're working extremely hard. But I think culture is becoming increasingly important in terms of um, how people spend their time again. And that includes fiction, obviously includes, you know, spending a lot of time on their mobile phone and uh, going to the movies and things. But um, I think, as you say, I, I agree when I when I've been in China, I have been really kind of blown away by how many people are packing out bookshops and how many bookshops there are. And trying to sort of decode what they're reading is a little bit harder, but um, I get the sense there is an appetite for information, whether it's escapism or, uh, you know, even sort of school-related work. But, but young people are, um, they seem quite bookwormy to me. Hmm. Megan, you know, as, um, again, as a writer or as an um, international journalist, that we know that stories tend to grab, grasp people the most. So in other words, when we uh, put stories in a book or put stories in writing, people are more likely to be hooked, you know, regarding the plots and the ups and downs uh, involved with the characters. You, you know, I, I have to admit that in China and today, again, just based on research and based on the uh, what, what I heard and what I read and, and also talked to the friends, today... I want to say a lot more younger generations, when they go to the stores or when they're uh, looking for something to read, before we get into fictions or before we get into uh, other categories, there's a type of writing that actually reveals 
the reality of China. And again, I don't know if you know, there's a famous Chinese author, and his name is Yu Hua. You know, he wrote a book called yeah, um, Huo Zhe, right? Yeah, so again, I know that just right now, today, as you know, we're speaking right now, this book has been reprinted and repackaged many times. And I have to say that younger generations today, I'm, I, I mean, beyond younger generations, anyone that who wants to understand or who would love to understand how the reality works in China, that will be something that one has to read. Because we know that that book, it reflects the reality of life. But on the other hand, it also draws sympathy, compassion, and uh, I guess we could say even use the word pain, struggles, out of the readers. So Megan, from your perspective, this question, do you think that the, the Chinese people today, they are ready for this type of reading? Or do you think that they can embrace this type of reality and meanwhile continue to be hopeful and positive about what they're doing today? Mm. I mean, I think um, my sort of faith in, in literature in general is that um, it does draw attention to the shadows as much as it does the light. And I, I don't think that diminishes what, what is good in, in uh, the present day or good in, in the world. Um, it, it actually only enriches it. And I think it's very encouraging that a lot of young people really want to read Yu Hua. And uh, I mean, I know, I think its latest renaissance was on the back of a, an endorsement from Jackson Yee, I think, who's a, mm. a very um, popular young actor. And, you know, this is the sort of age of uber celebrities as well in China and, uh, you know, fan culture and things. So that obviously has had a huge influence on um, this book coming back to popularity and sort of shooting up the bestseller charts. But if it means that people are reading it, then I think that's fantastic. And of course, there's, as you rightly say, stories are a way for us to uh, engage with complex realities or complex histories without um, talking in sort of binary, so to speak. And, um, you know, to live is one of the sort of finest examples. And the reason it keeps bouncing back is because it's so good. And uh, it was also made into a wonderful film. Um, but I certainly don't think that there, there should be any perceived clash between engaging with difficult subjects or struggle or pain and um, advancement and progress and excitement. And I, I feel like they're, they're absolutely integral, uh, they're sort of integrally linked. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, let's get to, you know, the next part is going back to the Chinese people. Megan, I know you spend quite amount of time uh, in China and also uh, internationally. You know, one thing I have to say, I noticed that how the Chinese people today, again, uh, typically we'll say the younger generations, the millennials, they're spending more time in those bookstores and they're spending more time to participate in the reading clubs. You know, believe me that, uh, you know, just several years ago when I was in Beijing and I actually went to a lot of reading clubs, you know, they were local and they were organized by the Chinese millennials and they were engaged and, and you know, and in heavy topics or, you know, any whatsoever. But it seems like the more they discuss regarding what they're reading, and then they're more interested 
you know, about just beyond the reading or just beyond exchanging books. It's more about building friendships. And, and, and meanwhile, we, we also see this type of behavior happening in the Western culture, you know, happening in the European side. So my question to you, Megan, is how much influence or how much impact from this literature-based friendship perspective that actually influenced China today? You mean in terms of um, how people are able to kind of forge connections with each other through reading fiction? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually particularly prevalent, it seems to me, in China, uh, primarily because of um, how things have evolved online. Um, you know, online fiction is bigger than anywhere else in, in the world in China. And a big part of that has been uh, a kind of non-passive and very um, engaged and active reading community who like to comment on every sentence and every mm. um, sort of character as they as they kind of uh, reveal their ace cards and things. Um, and uh, that, I, I can tell that's a huge part of why online fiction has become so popular in China. And I guess it's mirrored in our sort of fanfic um, uh, online communities here, but it seems to have bled much more into kind of all, all online fiction in, in China. And that is undoubtedly you know, really, really important. But then I, I guess that's always, in a way, been, again, the case with literature, I think, is that it, um, it just, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it just does help people imagine uh, themselves into other people's shoes. And that in itself creates connections where there might not have been any, had you not read it. Um, mm. So it makes sense to me that that's one way that it's evolved online, um, even if it's slightly, yeah. Uh, frenzied at times. Mm. You know, Megan, back in the days, if I can bring the history back, uh, I'm sure that you understand uh, more than I do uh, within this particular criteria is back in the early 1980s, you know, for China, again, uh, Chinese people, they were hungry about something, you know, not just about the literature, but also the curiosity for the world. But meanwhile, from the Chinese governmental side, they were so afraid that people became more intellectual. You know, even though I remember back in the days when I had a conversation with my parents and they were born and raised in China and um, they were talking to me and they were saying, you know, back in the days I living in China, intellectual, that's such a, a, a taboo or such a sensitive word. So in other words, through literature, through education, through reading, people could uh, uh, do could open their eyes or open their minds, understand something. And then the more they understand, and the more thoughts and ideas, innovation, creativity could come into their mind. And meanwhile, that could also be interpreted in a negative way. But fast forward today, China is on this unstop unstoppable track. And the younger generations today, they are full of innovation. They are driving this global economy or the becoming entrepreneurs. You know, we can the conversation can go on and on on this one. So here's a question is, do you think that from the governmental perspective that they are afraid, or I don't want to use the word afraid, that they might be worried or anxious that literature or today's readings and anything that actually could create something negative for the society 
Meanwhile, because the younger generations are learning about the world through literature, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I have I've understood your question directly, but I, I think the the government seem uh, definitely uh, concerned about, especially the popularity of something like online fiction, primarily because it's been quite um, unregulated for a long time. I think they've they've done a pretty good job of um, mainly maintaining a degree of influence over print, and um, that doesn't mean that subversive things aren't being written but they don't generally get printed through official channels which are the dominant um, pathways to sort of publishing um, whereas online I think as long as it was you know not overtly political it's sort of been allowed to really um, multiply and you know there's now 240 million titles I think available mm. if not more uh, for people to read and with that has come a lot of genres that they weren't really expecting that that they're not pleased with you know it's, there's a lot of kind of erotica there's a lot of references to historical time periods that um they don't really want mentioned um there's a lot of violence you know there's sort of influences i guess from also you know japanese and korean um on this stuff and of course the west um and uh, you know with any uh government that wants people to adhere to its uh its narrative so to speak i think um anything that deviates from uh how's the best way of saying it uh, anything that deviates from that master narrative uh becomes increasingly subversive or problematic even if it's not political even if it's just sort of being apolitical is political i guess in in uh, under that that kind of um uh uh government mm. and um so i think from what i know they're really cracking down on online fiction because it's popular and because it's um pretty uh punchy in places it has a lot of things that feel immoral to uh, the chinese government and they don't want that to be a part of um yeah, contemporary society. Well, but but Megan, it's hard to do that, right? Because we we know that, you know, the the cliche is once you opened up the internet, once you throw something on the internet, it seemed there's no no way to end it because today, just the younger generations were, you know, the internet users in China alone, it's more than seven hundred million users. You know, that's based yeah. on the latest data. So in other words, once the people, they are online and they are hungry or they are looking forward to excitement in this type of reading. And of course, you know, on the daily basis that we in the States that we see how people are reading their uh, their books or anything on their phones or electronical devices. And I'm sure the same thing is actually taking place in China as well. So so, yeah. so so I guess how, how would you I mean the, I, it seems like the more you try it and the harder you are going to uh, the more resistance you're gonna get. So I guess I guess at this point we we'll say we shouldn't stop or or the government side should not stop people from uh, from curiosity or from anything that can help them grow because we, we always say being uneducated is worse than being intellectual today, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the things they seem most worried about are um, 
things that detract from being educated. I, you know, in some ways, I sort of uh, I sympathise taste-wise in that I I unfortunately don't I haven't come across lots of online uh, fiction that I think is any good, and I think it you know a lot of it sort of resembles it in a way sort of reading the script of a computer game um, mm. or you know quite formulaic uh romances that i don't think um elevate in the way that most literature does i think they sort of homogenize and make things too sort of samey and um mm. uh you know uh, unilluminating in, in many ways but i think um it's a really tricky one and i think you're right if people are curious and educated then of course that's um, it's, it's a hard instinct to stop, but I, I certainly think uh, with online fiction, the government has managed to crack down quite effectively. Lots of writers give up, or they do they do increasingly what they think they should do, mm. which leads to yet more kind of formulaic narratives um, without any of the kind of juicy bits, which I guess a lot of readers just want for pure escapism. Um, and you know, I. I think we're, we're having these debates in the West as well in terms of, um, and they're, they're debates I think we should be having about like the, what impact certain narratives have on how we understand certain cultures, what, how we understand ourselves, our own history. We, we have a lot of um, narratives being reassessed, rewritten and challenged. And um, I, you know, it's just sort of all, all part of why I guess we, we do need to engage with uh, culture through many prisons, you know, through literature, through film, mm. through um, rigorous intellectual study. And um, we need to just sort of try and make sense of what's happened and what's happening right now through mm. all of those different media. Megan, I want to shift our conversation to a fiction. And I'm sure that you know, you have heard or perhaps that you read one of the popular fictional writing, it's Hunger Game. I mean, that was a huge hit, not only because the movie or, of course, the, the movie and uh, the book, uh, the books came out first and then um, Hollywood was able to produce them or turn them into movies. But also in China, and uh, as far as I know, they, the younger generations and, you know, especially the kids in high school today, most of them, they all either have heard of Hunger Games or they have read the books or perhaps even a few of them uh, uh, even uh, got the chance to see the movies. But in, but we always joke about to say the reality today, it's not just in China, but I guess across the continent, it's, it's similar as what we saw in the movie, what we read in the book. It's a Hunger Game. You know, competition is intense. Uh, and also uh, people are uh, competing with uh, cutthroat uh, positions and you know and also we're trying to make it because this is a competition uh, in life once in a while now yeah. how do you think that such literature or how do you think such fictional writings could actually impact how people perceive or interpret the world today so in other words do you think that uh, that's this type of writing where this type of uh, literature could maybe bring this negative or bring this pessimistic attitude to the world, especially to the readers, not only in China, but in Asia, compare with uh, the, 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 the audience in the Western or in the European side, and, in, and, and then just say, okay, uh, um, I, I did not understand that until I saw this movie, until I read this book. 
Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah, well, in terms of the kind of, I guess, the idea of, um, sort of social Darwinism that becomes um, a part of, uh, of the narrative in society, and it, re it resonates when they read things like The Hunger Games or see things like The Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, when I've spoken to quite a few... Um, actually mainly academics in China, they, they sort of see this era as the era of social Darwinism, of, you know, um, uh, people realizing that they need to um, put themselves first, they need to be quite sort of individualistic to get ahead. And, you know, obviously that runs quite sort of counter to um, sort of socialist narratives, which are still quite prominent um, from the top down. Um, and I think a lot of people, including the government, worry that essentially kind of narratives about selfishness and um, only looking out for yourself, not only sort of contravene what they want to be a kind of inherent sort of Chinese characteristic, but it also influences how people um, behave in society. And of course, you know, our, our art and um, what, what we uh, read and what we see has an impact. Um, I think for a lot of people, though, especially with these kind of um, dog eat dog narratives, which you get uh, in online of um, sort of superheroes just sort of triumphing over one enemy to the next, um, I think it is just really cathartic for a lot of young readers. It's, mm. It doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to mean that they're going to try and become some. Um, you know, sociopathic uh, megalomaniac. I think they just sort of find it quite fun, and it's also quite um, uh, refreshing when, in in their day to day lives, they're probably working extremely hard and having to be quite um, self sacrificing in in terms of how they spend their time. And um, it's like a kind of valve that they need just to sort of uh, escape. I think it is. It's you know, it's pure escapism for a lot of readers, and mm. um, and then of course for some it'll you know, nurture some uh, feelings of, right. <laughs> you know, right. wanting to sort of replicate it. But um, I don't think there's one answer to that, if that makes sense. Yes. Megan, you know, over the decades that we have heard so many uh, amazing or uh, fantastic writers, and they have been writing about China, you know, and of course that right now you are one of them because, uh, you know, if your book is what China is reading and why it matters... Now, my question to you is, since we have so many different writers from different backgrounds and writes about China, and how much do you think today that through literature, we know China? So in other words, do you think that because different people have different backgrounds and people have different uh, uh, different ways to, to see China, but how accurate it is today that through literature, that we actually, from as an outsider, to see this country today. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's, it's a fundamental question I have tried to answer, and um, I think the answer is it's. <laughs> it is still hard to know, but um, the one thing I do feel very strongly about being an outsider, um, with a, a real interest in China, having spent a lot of time there, is that China certainly in some ways for understandable reasons and others, which is just sort of habit, um, is mainly seen um, through sort of the prism of politics and economics and 
uh, friend or foe or, you know, kind of economic miracle or human rights violator. And, mm. you know, of course, those those things can be true, but they they certainly don't tell in any way the, the whole story of what it means to be Chinese. And I wouldn't in any way claim to be a sp- spokesperson for what it does mean to be Chinese. But I really did um, feel like by trying to engage with uh, Chinese fiction in all its diversity and to sort of make the, the reach as broad as possible, I was trying to um, uh, show the ways in which uh, there is certainly not one narrative and all these different writers are processing their own experiences in very, very different ways and very mm. illuminating and sort of strange and some incredibly innovative and some quite formulaic. But either way, once you start putting them all together, um, you do you start building a slightly more complex landscape than one that we are used to getting in the West, um, which uh, you know belongs to nonfiction and, and journalism, and it's, it has its place. But I think by just engaging with that, we really sort of lose um, another sort of you know an alternate an alternate pathway to understanding you know China as it is, which is just complicated and full of contradictions and. Um, just like anywhere, and I personally feel like we 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 owe it that because mm. you know um, uh, it's going to be a very important country. It already is in the world, and it um, is indeed. I, we I, should I, try I, and understand it as best we can. Right, I I couldn't agree with you more. Now, Megan, I know you're very busy. I have two more questions um, before letting yeah. you go. Now, the next question I want to ask, going back to your book again, the question is called. The subplot and what China is reading and why it matters. So, Megan, when you finish writing that book, and what, as an author, what are you expecting people to understand after reading your book? So, in other words, what would you want them to take away from finish finishing reading your book? Yeah. So, I, I hope. Um, I guess firstly that people will be more open to uh, engaging with Chinese um, art, especially literature in, in particular. Um, primarily because whenever I speak to anybody about it, they, they have absolutely no idea about any of it. And I think that is in part because of the problem of censorship. People assume that um, censorship has sort of killed off any worthwhile art in, in China and that's certainly true in some cases and absolutely not true in others. And um, I hope, you know, people who have an interest generally in, in um, foreign fiction will be mm. um, more open to it. Um, and I also, I, I kind of hope that it it's just also a platform um, to think about our own artistic landscape and to see, you know, to co- compare and contrast um, how our, um, sort of literary um, world is sort of evolving at the moment and, and what we sort of think the role of fiction is also in, in the West. Um, and I think it's very helpful to kind of uh, use it as a sort of springboard for that also. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, I hope it just um, gives people some books that they might want to read uh, written by Chinese writers that they hadn't expected and also an insight into kind of the Chinese cultural landscape that they weren't aware of. Mm. Well, Megan, I would like to uh, wrap up our conversation. And the last question I would like to ask, again, going back to your book, 
It's what China is reading and why it matters. And let's talk about the younger generations today. There are a lot more writers today in China alone. They're hoping、uh, to tell their own stories through their own writings, or they're trying to interpret on their world. You know, by telling stories and you know their experiences and etc. So you, as a writer, and you、uh, as a journalist, and you came up with this book. So, what do you think are the helpful tips, or what do you think the helpful ways to to motivate those Chinese writers to get started if they decide to tell their own stories through literature? So, in other words, what would you say to them if they would love to tell their stories in literature in their own ways? How would you encourage them? Um, oh goodness, that's a really hard question.、Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, I would hope that they were writing because they really want to write, and they're not、um, doing it because they feel like they, you know, I think these sort of online pla- platforms often sort of draw people in sort of as a, a money-making scheme, and I don't think、um, writing fiction has ever been a sort of guarantee of.、Uh, Making any money, and I would also just、uh, say to kind of read as widely as possible themselves, not just、um, one genre or、um, you know a few authors here and there, and、um, you know commit to the artistic process. Sort of,、mm. you know,、uh, find find their voice and、um, think about what they want to say and what they.、Uh, Are interested in and, and you know stick their head in it and try and、um, see what comes out. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to see what that is.、Um, I, and that's all really. I, I I guess there has to be a sort of、uh, a private motivation. I、mm. need to process life through through art rather than、um, any other ways. And I I think it's absolutely vital. But it has to be there. I think for people to to do it properly. It is. You know, I always say, whenever we start a project or whenever we get the chance, we'd love to accomplish our goals and dreams. And what matters the most, and Megan, I think you agree with me, it's just take the first step. And once you step out, and once you take the first step, and you realize, you know, how much I can do or how much、um, I should do, you know, little by little, either we might lose confidence or we might get dismayed. But it doesn't matter, you know. It's it's a process, you know. As a journalist,、yeah. as a writer, writing supposed to be a process, and telling stories supposed to be a process. So, with that said, you know, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to have Megan Walsh. You know,、uh, she's the author of the latest book. It's called Subplot: What China Is Reading and Why It Matters. And she's a journalist and a writer, and who often writes about Chinese literature and film. Again, Megan, thank you so much for being on my show, and I hope and I pray that、uh, everything will go well with your book. And we love to have you back on our show again.、Uh, continue to talk about the contemporary art and literature in China, Russia, Cuba, and across the continent. Thank you, Megan.